Well, welcome everyone to Life Center Online. Let me give you a big virtual hug. Come on, give me one too. Here we are together in the midst of COVID-19 and we are conquering this. Today we're going to look at the continuation of the series Carriers of the Heart and we'll try to dig into handling confidentiality well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a biblical character, and I'll bring his name up in just a moment. But before I do that, we need to celebrate together once again. Eight people gave their lives to Christ over the last week, and uh, there's a digital revival going on all over the globe. More and more people now in the privacy of their home are having to think through the things that they're watching, the things that they're hearing, and that's really, really positive for all of us. I want you to, if you have a Bible, take your Bible, open it up to the Gospel of John. And remember, we do this each time I get a chance to speak here at Life Center. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. And I'm ready this day to receive into my heart the ever-living, everlasting, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And then we always pray, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart about the issues of confidentiality, trust in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're continuing to talk about values, and values are like invisible roots that grow deep in us and draw nourishment from the water of God's Word, and they produce healthy, visible fruit in all that we do. So it's not just that we have good roots, but that we have good fruit flowing out. And today our focus will be on putting character first because that way most people understand that character is rooted in our relationship to Jesus. And when we say we follow him, they're looking for evidence of that. And so it really matters how we live, how we love, how we lead. Uh, Martin Luther King, in fact, said it this way, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. How many of us know that Christ-like character must be evident in terms of content that is there in our lives? And so God's Word helps us focus on what builds character every single day in all of the situations that we find ourselves in. I have taken one scripture as part of my life scripture, because when I gave my life to Christ almost 40 years ago, I said, Lord, I need to put my eyes somewhere where I can focus every day. Many of you know that I ride a motorcycle. I've done it for many, many years. And where your eyes focus on a motorcycle is where your motorcycle goes. And so I wanted to be able to see something in God's Word that would help me every single day. And it's found in Romans chapter 8, and it's verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so I want to focus on that conformed to the image of his son. My eyes are on Jesus, and because of that, the things that I see, the things that I read, the things that I hear about what he did in his time on earth, those are the kind of things that I want to be able to focus on and let my life live out of that kind of a rooting system. So character is ultimately the sum total of who you are, the content of a life well lived before God and before man. 
And so in all of these things, as we get into this character study in just a moment, you want to choose to live for an audience of one. Makes a difference in then how you walk out your day-to-day life. And so in a moment, we're going to look in the scriptures together. We're going to see the life of one man and the character in his life. He understood the importance of character. He understood the value of confidentiality and the reality of genuine friendship. He knew something was missing in his life with God, and he knew there must be more, but he wasn't quite sure. And that's why having a person in your life who knows Jesus is really, really important. He had, as a character we'll study, he had power, he had position, he had wealth, he had wisdom, he had influence, he had success. But in the midst of all of that, There was something missing, and I think the question that may have been deep in his heart, because it seems to be a question we all have, is what could be missing? Is there more to life than just this? And so I'm talking about a man by the name of Nicodemus. His name means innocent of blood. He's a Pharisee. He's a leader in the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. He's a legal jurist. He's a man of influence, a man of wisdom, according to the religious law of Israel. But you and I know that when you study the Old Testament, the New Testament is there, but it's concealed. And it whets our appetite for something more. And Nicodemus is going through this struggle in his own heart, and you'll see it as we unfold this talk together. He's a man searching out whether or not this Jesus of Nazareth, because Nicodemus comes from the Galilee as well. And so he's wondering about Jesus of Nazareth. Is he the promised Messiah? Now, remember, I said he's a jurist. He understands the promises concerning the coming of the Messiah, and he's starting to put the pieces together, and something is stirring inside of him. His reflective nature gets the best of him, And so he arranges a meeting with Jesus, probably through a fellow Sanhedrin member by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, because the scripture tells us that Joseph is a follower of Jesus, but secretly, because of the situation and the position that he found himself in the Sanhedrin, he's willing to trust Joseph to keep confidence as he pursues these personal spiritual questions that he has. Joseph is a friend who Nicodemus trusts with his secrets, his questions, his doubts, and even his fears. In other words, Joseph is a safe friend. Are you a safe friend? Are you someone that can be trusted with confidentialities? And so there are three components to this that I want us to look at before, during, and after in this amazing journey that we see in Nicodemus's life. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, tell us what it's like before. And Nicodemus's inner turmoil, can I trust Joseph with confidentiality, with sharing something that's very personal to me? So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3, and we'll begin to read just portions of it. I'll allow you to Look at the whole thing later on in your life, but let's just begin at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So here he is, a Pharisee. He's a leader, 
And the man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Hmm, what a statement to make. We know that you're a teacher and you've come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is wise enough to know that Jesus is backing up what he's saying by the evidence of the power of the Spirit of God at work in him and through him. And so Nicodemus is hearing the stories of blind men seeing and lame men walking, and all of these dynamics are taking place. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you go through that chapter, you find something called rabbinic teaching. And rabbinic teaching pushes one against the other to be able to work through the argument and come, until you come to an understanding. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he's going at it from a natural perspective. He's questioning Jesus, the rabbi, and he's pushing back. Often when you talk to a Jewish person and you ask them a question, they always ask you a question back. So it creates this dialogue. And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And do not marvel, Nicodemus, that I said to you, you must be born again. And then in verse 8, he says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it's going. It's the hiddenness of God in our life. Every single day we see the evidence on the tree, the fruit. We see the evidence, but we don't always understand the root system, and we don't know where these things are coming from. And so Nicodemus is puzzled. He's asking all of these questions. He makes an arrangement, probably through Joseph of Arimathea, who is a follower of Jesus, to arrange a meeting where he can meet with him in private at night. And then the scripture goes on to say, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Remember, one asks a question, the other responds with a question. And they start working through the layers of understanding that needs to come from teacher to student. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things, Nicodemus, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This contrast between the natural world and the spiritual world, when Nicodemus has everything that life could possibly offer to him, that's the natural component. And it's not fully satisfying because we are designed for more. We're designed for God. We're designed to walk with him and to walk through life together with him. And the scripture goes on to say in verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. I remember seeing a picture years ago, and it was Moses in the midst of all of the serpents 
that were in the wilderness and they were biting people. And he was pointing to the serpent on the cross. And he was saying to the people, don't look to me, look to the serpent. If you look to me, you're going to die. If you look to the serpent on the cross, you're going to be healed. You're going to be restored. And so what Jesus is doing is helping Nicodemus shift his focus to an understanding of what's about to happen. Because Nicodemus is part of the Sanhedrin. This conversation that's taking place has just started to happen after Jesus cleansed the temple. And Nicodemus knows that the rest of the members of the Sanhedrin are quite angry with Jesus and want to get rid of him. So there's something going on. He doesn't fully understand what the cross is going to be yet, but he will very, very soon. And then verse 15, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so this is the before. This is the process that's going on in Nicodemus's life in the midst of his questions, in the midst of his lack of understanding of spiritual things. And yet he's hungry for God. He's hungry for truth. He's pressing. And when I say he has a reflective nature, he's willing to sit down with someone who's a little bit further ahead in the journey and bring understanding to him. The second part is not just the before, but now we have the during part. And that's found in John chapter 7, in two verses, in uh, verse 50 and 52. The question here is, can Nicodemus defend Jesus publicly to his peers at great risk to himself from the hostile Jewish elites? In the before process, can Nicodemus trust Jesus with confidentiality? Because he's coming to Jesus late at night, and he's going to ask him questions, and the concern that he would have is, what if Jesus says something publicly about this? that I was meeting last night with Nicodemus. So there's a trust factor that has to be there. Can I trust this Jesus with the things of my heart that are heavy on it? And so the scriptures tell us that the crowds are saying that Jesus is the prophet. He's the Messiah. But the Pharisees are rebuking them by saying the Messiah is an offspring of David from Bethlehem, and the people are being deceived by this man from Galilee. How could he possibly be the Messiah? He comes from the Galilee when the Messiah will come from the city of David, from Bethlehem. Nicodemus appeals to them all, and he says this in verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to them beforehand, and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? See the pressure, the temptation that Nicodemus has to just remain silent because he doesn't want to anger his peers and be pushed to the outside. Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Interesting. No question that Nicodemus has searched. And he knows the scriptures and he is watching this Jesus and he sees the pieces coming together. And here are the peers saying to him, well, why don't you search and see? No prophet arises from Galilee. Nicodemus knows better than that. And so this is the during process that he's going through. He's gone from a private meeting with Jesus now to a public confrontation with his peers about this Jesus 
And he's saying to them, look at you've already prejudged them. You've already tried him in your minds. You've already found him guilty. Why don't you do what the law teaches and allow this man to come and give a defense? As soon as he does that, the penny drops in some of them about what this Nicodemus is doing with this Jesus. Why is he appealing to us on the behalf of this particular man? And so then we go into the third part, which is the after. And this is found in John chapter 19 and verse 38 to 42. Here's the question. Can Nicodemus continue to live like a Pharisee or a member of the Sanhedrin after his encounter with Jesus? So let's go back. He's trying to trust Joseph, and he's trying to trust Jesus with his queries, with the things that are stirring. And then he goes from private to public, and he's trusting that the members of the Sanhedrin know him well enough to know that he's not going to violate the Scriptures. And now we see what starts to happen when Nicodemus eventually sees this whole series of events unfold, and Jesus is crucified, dies, and is buried. And then Nicodemus has to put into practice another aspect of the hunger of his heart. And the scripture says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Sometimes we stumble over that, but we don't understand that there's great pressure on people's lives to be public with their faith. And in this instance, Joseph doesn't want to incur the wrath of his peers. And so he follows Jesus, but secretly. They ask Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus. Pilate gives them permission. And he came and took away the body. And Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 34 kilos in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in little linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And in that place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one yet had been laid. And so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And so Nicodemus is willing now at this point, not only was it private for a while, trusting, putting his confidence in those that would listen like Joseph and Jesus, and then goes public, challenging his own peers. And now he goes to Pilate and he asks to be able to take the body of Jesus down from the cross. He publicly identifies and cares for the whipped, bloody, beaten, bruised, and pierced body of Jesus. How precious that Nicodemus and Joseph both care for the body of Jesus in this way. Again, we're talking about fruit. There's always evidence of where you're rooted. And something has gone on in Joseph of Arimathea, and he's made a decision to follow Jesus. And now Nicodemus has been processing all of this, and there's something going on inside of him. It's a loving demonstration of identification with Jesus, even in life and in death. And so, what had led Nicodemus to this point in his life? Good question to ask. He'd been reflecting that there must be something more to this life. You know, you can study uh, the Old Testament 
and realize that, boy, there's some prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet. There's some promises of a coming Messiah. There are indicators of not just where he will be born, but where he will live, where he will minister, how he will minister. All of those things are there. And because of that, Nicodemus's heart is feeling disconnected from God. He has a lot of information and knowledge here, but his heart is yearning for something more. It's yearning for life and he doesn't have it, and he knows he doesn't have it, and that's why he's willing to go public with his faith. As a seasoned jurist with lots of life experience, he has a cry for more. His fellow Pharisee and peer in the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, is a follower of Jesus, so he has some confidence. That's why I said earlier, it is really important for people in our lives not only to know that we love Jesus, but that they have a friendship with us as those who walk with Jesus. Because then we can listen to the wonderful leadings of the Spirit on how to help our friends and how to help them come to an understanding of who Christ really is. And I can imagine the secret conversations that Joseph and Nicodemus had. I can allow my sanctified imagination to go there. And all of the things that they would talk about because they were legal minds, they would take the scriptures and say, this lines up, this lines up, this lines up. And ultimately, Jesus of Nazareth then must be the promised Messiah. Uh, Nicodemus trusted Joseph with his secrets. He found a friend that was in a position that when Nicodemus shared, that friend was safe with the struggles of his heart, safe with his secrets, safe with the things that were going on that nobody else knew but needed an expression of some kind. Uh, I'm sure that these were dangerous conversations to engage with one another, especially knowing that Joseph is part of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus probably confirmed it in his own heart. He is trustworthy. Therefore, I'm going to open my heart to him and ask him things. Men of genius are admired, the quote says. Men of wealth are envied. Men of power are feared. But only men of character are trusted. And so Joseph of Arimathea was a man of character. And Nicodemus could put his trust in him with no matter what was going on in his heart. Nicodemus trusted Joseph. He is willing to risk asking questions as he's seeking out a better understanding of this man, Jesus. Even as a prominent member of the Sanhedrin or the Supreme Religious Court in ancient Israel, his soul is not at rest. You know, when I first became a believer in Jesus and had a wonderful encounter with him, I was at a conference in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and I was walking on the boardwalk late at night all by myself, and a Catholic priest came up and was walking alongside of me. He was part of the conference. And as we began to talk, it was clear he had position, he had head knowledge, but he didn't have a hard understanding of having a personal relationship with Jesus. It came out of one question that I asked him. He was a chaplain in a prison, and I said to him, do you ever ask the prisoners to give their life to Christ? 
so that Christ could come in and help transform them so that their lives could totally change. And he looked at me like a deer in headlights. And he said, no, I've never done that. And instantly I said to him, have you ever personally invited Jesus Christ into your heart? And he said, no, I haven't. And I said, would you like to kneel down right here? And we will pray that prayer together. And he said, yes. We knelt down. We prayed the prayer together. He went his way. I went my way. And I almost freaked out because I grew up in that tradition. And normally I would assume that the priest of the congregation knew everything and knew more than I did. But, you know, you can't take away from someone who has a personal experience and encounter with Jesus Christ. It makes all the difference in the world. Holy Spirit also works through the heart of a person sharing the, the truth about Jesus, and that brings conviction to the heart of someone else so that their lives can be changed. And so Nicodemus takes a step of faith, he arranges to see Jesus privately at night to go over the questions that are burning in his heart. And Jesus's words and deeds have brought conviction to him. In requesting the meeting, he's doing it because he is trusting. He chooses to go directly to Jesus to hear explanations of his questions firsthand. He doesn't want to engage in hearsay, gossip, or to listen to people that have ulterior motives. And as I said earlier, the conversation is typically rabbinic. It's a dialogue that happens between them. And when Jesus says you must be born again, which could be dismissed by an inexperienced listener, Nicodemus knows he's being led to the true meaning of what Jesus is saying. And in John chapter 3 and verse 3, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the dialogue continues, and ultimately, at the end, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? He's not being harsh with Nicodemus. He's simply saying to him, this is how you enter into the things of God, into the kingdom, into life in the Spirit. And that's what your heart is yearning for, and that's what I'm presenting to you. You'll notice in that, sometimes you use the example, did you give an altar call? Well, every conversation with Jesus is an altar call because he's bringing us to a place of surrender. He's bringing us to a place where we can say to him, I don't know it all, and I trust that you are leading me forward with greater understanding. Imagine the moment when Nicodemus moved from being a, a teacher of the law to being someone who had a personal relationship now with the Lord and understood the power of the Holy Spirit at work in him. Because not only is he there at the cross, later on, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, Nicodemus is impacted by that. And so for you and I, this process going on in Nicodemus's life, in Joseph of Arimathea's life, in Jesus's life, in the Pharisees of the day in their life, all of these dynamics are at work. And somewhere in the midst of it all, Nicodemus found someone he could trust. John Maxwell says, if in your lifetime you find one person that you can open your heart to, then you're really blessed. And so I challenge and encourage you to do that. We're talking about character. It's the quality that embodies integrity, courage, perseverance, confidence, wisdom. And unlike your fingerprints that you're born with and you can't change, 
Character is something that you can change, but it must develop every single day. And you and I need to take steps to grow in character through our relationship with Jesus. Character is not automatic. It needs to grow in healthy soil, the soil of God's word on a day-to-day basis. Nicodemus is a model then of character, a model of courage in the midst of murderous men with absolute power and absolute authority. So when we say he came to Jesus at night because of fear, you have to understand that. We live in the West. We don't go through these kinds of things, but he's in a very awkward position. Nicodemus displays character, the character of love in a very hateful time being willing to identify with the broken body of Jesus, taking it off the cross, spending that money on the 34 kilos of spices. And when you study a little bit about this history, that was the amount that was used for the burial of a king. So you can imagine what he's thinking on the inside. If if Nicodemus and Joseph, as they take the body down, it's at great risk to their reputation and to their safety. Imagine how they would have been viewed in the eyes of their fellow Pharisees of that day. Nicodemus had supplied all of the spices. Joseph supplies the tomb. And in doing that, these men are demonstrating their love for Jesus. Matthew 27, 57 says, There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. And so these are moments that we are talking about that shapes the life of Nicodemus. Before, he had to trust Joseph and Jesus with secrets of his heart. During, he learned that Jesus is personal and private with each of us. So as he comes privately to Jesus, Jesus answers his questions uniquely to him. And then after, he receives forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. He's revered by those who have experienced the new birth in Jesus and had their questions answered and their hearts satisfied by truth. So watch your thoughts, Margaret Thatcher said, for they become your words. Watch your words because they become your actions. Watch your actions because they become your habits. And watch your habits for they ultimately become your character and watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Thank God, in Nicodemus's life, he was willing to go to Jesus with the questions of his heart, have them answered, and then identify with Jesus. Here are some questions I want to put so that you can think about these. How do you hold someone's trust? How do you do that? Do you do it in confidence? Do you struggle with gossip or slander when someone shares something with you? Do you park it somewhere so that they're safe or do you share that? Christ-like character question, how well do you walk with someone as they take small steps towards Jesus? Do you speak the truth in love? Are you afraid to share your faith with others? You know, all around us, when I said at the beginning that we're experiencing a digital revival. There are people with questions right now, uh, particularly in COVID-19 of all of this. If he's a God of love, how come he allows this to happen? These are powerful and all that he is doing in your heart 
and in your life. I trust that you've made a decision to go to Jesus and ask him questions, open his word and gain understanding, and then commit your life to him because he has committed his life to you on the cross. And because of that, you then can walk out this life having the things that are not satisfied be satisfied and grow and be conformed to his image and to his likeness. Thank you.